ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the, let me repeat, the Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my buddy, Mark. Hey, Frank. And hello, listener. <laughs> We're syndicated via Redline Radio, LLC, and you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcast. Uh, I just did it once that time. Uh, don't be a bird on a wire. Head over to YouTube and see what this podcast looks like. Frank records this fully nude, and I you do. don't want to miss it because he's got no control over his webcam. <laughs> That's true, fully nude. And for any new listeners out there, this is the podcast where Mark and I recommend albums to each other, and we review them. Plus, we have a wide, and I mean wide, variety of musical discussions, like, like our spotlight. That's right, like, <laughs> like our spotlight series where we dig into a band's catalog and we see what comes out on the other side. Yeah, and in our, our verse series, we pit two albums against each other uh, and make them duke it out for complete and total stereo domination. That's right, so be sure to check us out on Instagram. You can follow us in our uh, on Instagram, Facebook group, Drop. We are, and we will, additional content. Hopefully, we'll leave you wanting more musical goodness and, of course, of Mark's Random Nonsense. And if you have, most importantly, if you have a record you'd like us to check out, drop a comment wherever you find us. While you're at, subscribe. Give us a review, a rating, and I say this, as I always do. Oh, yeah. Mark, how are you, my man? I'm chilling, Frankie. Uh, You know, I went a little crazy on the old internet record store over the last few weeks. Mm. So uh, I've just been hanging out with my records and catching up on some comic books and all this stuff my mother warned me uh, would never get me anywhere in life. How are you, buddy? (laughs) I've been busting out the records, too, because the the family enjoys them out in the open and just beautiful soundscapes and uh, absolutely a good time. And you can see some of the ones we've been playing on on the old Instagram page. So Marky Mark and the Marky Bunch, uh, the album on tap for today is something that really changed the band's sound even Mm -hmm. if it was in this album's case brief and in some band's career a permanent change these shifts they happen right it's undeniable um but my question is do you like these sometimes monumentous and uh, or detrimental type musical shifts and and think about that i ask you that and think about like the bands you like that have done that well frankie francis frankenfooter (laughs) <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, these kinds of, of bold moves by band can either or make them or break them. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's just kind of a pit stop and they, they move on. They go back. See our Weezer episode where Frank and I compared the, the debut Weezer album to Pinkerton. Pinkerton was a huge shift stylistically uh, and sonically, but not one the band would hold on to because of the reaction uh, just wasn't so favorable for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, so really... This is a, a kind of a case-by-case basis. There are certainly bands it worked for and certainly bands it didn't work for. You know, I like to lump artists together, musical artists, painting artists, and look at their careers in, in periods. You know, Picasso is famous for his blue period. Um, you know, your favorite band can do that too. The, the early work, the later work, we're talking about uh, a new drummer, uh, a, a new guitar player, a new bassist, a new producer. Um, and the whole thing's going in a different direction for as long as that record lasts. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really good point. And, of course, Mark referenced the Weezer episode, so be sure to check that out in the old archives. So for me, I'm naturally, listen, a creature of habit, and I, I used to uh, – <laughs> and, and, you know, I used to yap 
pretty loudly about when a band would change their sound. But as I've gotten older, I appreciate it, especially, again, I always say this, if the songs are good. That is vital. That's a vital key in my world. Uh, Shifts can occur, and the musical boundaries can be tested, but the key component is, are the songs you're putting out of quality, or are they just crap at the end of the day? So, Mark, let's do a top 10. Top 10 list. And this is going to be a little little challenging, but fun. But fun. And it's this is here's the top 10 albums that mark the band's stylistic change in sound. Now, that could be a permanent change in style or for a brief time. So are you ready, my old pal? Born ready, bucko. Top 10. Whoa, they changed their sound for this record in no order, but exactly the order I mean them. Yes. And then whatever order Frank says them in. My number 10 is the Lillingtons, their latest album, Stella Sapitia, Sapitia, you know what, I'm never, I've never said it right, I've never Sapiente, right. Sapiente. He's the Italian, how do I know? <laughs> I can't say enough how much I love this record, uh, but what's awesome is how vastly different it is from the previous, uh, from previous episode, Death by Television, please check it out in the archive. Um, but the quality of songwriting is still super clean, the album's themes are crystal clear, it's just a darker, more mysterious, than its predecessors, and, and just beautiful for it. This record really manages to be a, a, a concept album without dealing with the, the headaches of being a concept, just as their other albums were just so beautifully themed about, you know, B-movies and, and science fiction plots. Who do you got, Frank? Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I love that album, and I love the, when we did the Lillington's episode because that opened me up to them, so... Absolutely. Big thumbs up there. So my first one, the first one that comes to my mind uh, is Rubber Soul by the Beatles. So yeah, sure. yeah the, the tinny sounding Beatles, as my old man used to say, were no more once this album came out. These songs were way more mature and well-crafted. And I don't think I need to say anything else about how then the rest of the story goes. So to me, this is when that point started. So that was that was mine. Yeah. And can you get more clear periods between the 60s Beatles of I Want to Hold Your Hand and... Uh, the late 60s and 70s Beatles of Rubber Soul. I mean, it's yeah, just totally. two, two such different periods, two different bands. Great choice, Frank. Thank you. Uh, for me, number nine, uh, you heard us talk about them on the Scott episode. Please visit our catalog, catalog for all of previous episodes. <laughs> for everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to keep talking about it. Uh, the Mad Caddies, Just One More. Uh, it's the fourth album from the band. Uh, it's actually their second turn in style. The first two records, Quality Softcore and Drunk, uh, it's drunk. That's me. Dunk. <laughs> that's twice. Duck and Cover are an uh, amazing blend of pop punk and ska with their signature Dixieland style. Well, the third album, Rock the Plank, is very much a pirate product of its time. Yeah. Just One More stuck out as its themes uh, and tones spoke more of the hazards of living in a touring band and less about getting in fights for who you are and what t-shirt you're wearing. Um, <laughs> You still know it's the Mad Caddies, uh, but it's this mature, personal record. Uh, it's just a, a really cool welcome change, uh, especially after that pirate album. <laughs> I remember uh, we were at a party, Mark. I can't remember the 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 uh, this, the correct atmosphere because it's wild now. And Mark puts it on in, in the party, and he's like, this is the new Mad Caddies album, everyone. And I was like, wow. I was like, that is definitely a switch because you had just, I think, burned me, rock the plank. And I was like, oh, this is totally pirate sky, you know? <laughs> And I remember us talking about that quite extensively. And I think we probably played that out between the both of us during that time frame. Uh, so, so much, so much. I want to say that that was a Halloween party, which you came to dressed as a hula girl. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that one. 
<laughs> you brought up the party. I did. I did. Never show anyone that video. Anyway, number nine in my <laughs> number nine is. Uh, Listen, here's another one from the same time frame as my previous one, The Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. Uh, again, keeping in the same time frame of the music. Listen, The Beach Boys and The Beatles were influencing each other as far as the innovation. Um, and, and, of course, everyone knows the story. Uh, but Pet Sounds is responsible for a big shift uh, from the surf pop sounds to a more lush and rich-sounding tunes. Uh, you know, if you want to label it, they could have started the whole dream pop stuff. Uh, but anyway, Pet Sounds is my number nine. Yeah, excellent choice. Excellent choice. Thank you, sir. So we're up to uh, the, the number eight picks. Uh, for me, it's going to be uh, a favorite of Frank's uh, and a favorite of mine. It's Green Day's Insomniac. Yeah. Uh, possibly the biggest commercial success uh, of all the albums I'm going to pick today. Uh, <laughs> Insomniac was uh, a response by Green Day for those who said that they were selling out and you know, weren't punk anymore, uh, whatever the fuck that means. Um <laughs> You know, I'm sorry. It's just I don't. It's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this album they put out is is fast. It's angry and it's, it's totally awesome. They proved they could put out a badass record. Uh, too bad they went back to selling out right after. <laughs> right after. They're radio friendly fucking garbage. But <laughs> hey, look, that's part of the business. And uh, Billy Joe has more money than I'll ever see in my life. So what the fuck do I know? There you go. There you go. And that album still rocks this day. You turn it up loud. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, my number seven, uh, Swordfish Trombones from Tom Waits. Ah, my favorite, Mr. Tom Waits. No more <laughs> pianos and strings, folks. It's all experimental and off the beaten path as well. Uh, Waits' wife introduced him to old Captain Beefheart, and it was all over from there. I mean, have fun putting a genre to this music because you'll never be able to. So <laughs> Swordfish Trombones, Tom Waits is my, my number eight. Excellent. So that brings us to number seven. Uh, I've got Black Sabbath. I chose Heaven and Hell, right? It's the first Dio Sabbath album, but it goes to show Dio is just an amazing vocalist with amazing vocal abilities. And of course, the band's ability to mold itself uh, and their style to his singing. Just an amazing Black Sabbath record that has nothing to do with Ozzy. Yeah, yeah that's definitely a shift in sound, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my next one is Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Now, I know everyone's going to say, but Born to Run marked the real change in sound. And, and yes. Not this sound. Right, right. Exactly. It did. It did mark a change in sound. Absolutely. The, the, the songs were no longer, not every song was seven to eight minutes, and there wasn't these Dylan-esque lyrics. It was way more condensed. But, uh, you know, in... Also in Darkness on the Edge of Town, Gone Were the Abundance of Lyrics. Uh, and for the most part, these songs were shorter. Uh, Darkness solidified that, though. Darkness solidified the change in that heartland rock that would come to play for albums to come. Uh, the songs were definitely more traditionally structured in Darkness of the Edge of Town. So that's why I chose that album. Yeah. Uh, great choice, man. Great Thank choice. You. So for number six, I chose uh, The Clash and, of course, Sandinista. It's the only... Of course. Truly different Clash record. You know, I'm probably going to catch a lot of shit for this. Uh, but, you know, the Clash, <laughs> the Clash's fourth album, a triple LP, Sandinista, we hear the band pick up all the small clues they dropped in every album before this yep. about their, their love for reggae and world music and experimentation. Um, you know, they just push themselves in a direction no one saw coming, especially after London Colin. It's just such a separation. Yeah. Sandinista challenges its listeners to follow along as they push the concept of world music and strive for a better world through said music. Um, was it successful? No, <laughs> of course not. Um, <laughs> it's a cool experiment worth your attention. 
I think it is. I think it is. Um, <laughs> as a band that could have followed London Con with whatever they wanted to do, they chose to push the boundaries. And that's one of the reasons The Clash is still one of the most important bands to ever exist. <laughs> Yeah, I was so engaged. And Mark's like, did it, did it work? No, of course not. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Sandinista says another one. Have fun putting a label on what genre all that is because you'll, you'll never. Yeah, it's you'll insane. Never, yeah, it's yeah. insane. So my next one is In Reverie by Saves the Day. So there's lots of parallels with this album and the one we are going to be covering tonight as far as the departure of the norm. Uh, I can't say I like all Saves the Day album, but I like, uh, albums, but I like about three or four of them. And this is one of them, to be honest with you. It was hated when it came out. It was absolutely despised from, from Chris Conley's nasal voice to the toned down non-pop punk sound. They got a lot of shit for this. Uh, of course, it was just a moment and they went back to the stuff that, that worked in later albums. Um, but, but this was de- a definite change in sound and, and I, I don't mind this album. So that was my pick. Very nice. So for number five, I have the Swinging Utters. Dead bottles, excuse me, dead flowers, bottles, bluegrass, and bones. You guys didn't think I was going to get through this list without mentioning the swinging udders, did you? Of course not. Uh, the udders are a great example of looking at a band and seeing their body of work as two distinct separate periods. Yeah. Uh, dead flowers, bottles, bluegrass, and bones is the first album in their second period released in 2003. The band blended their love. Uh, for it all, all things bluegrass, folk music, yeah. and of course their own signature sound of, of street punk. Um, there are those that suggest the turn happened actually in the 2000 self-titled release, but it's clearest and most distinct here. Um, yeah. You know, this, this is just such an amazing, superb, superbly crafted punk rock songwriting workshop. You can look at this thing top to bottom Musically, it's phenomenal. Lyrically, this it, the, the record is an absolute monster. I took all these drugs to see you, and all I do is stare at the shit. Yeah, I always love that song. It's I, it, I the fucking record is beautiful, and fuck you if you don't think so. Yeah, I love that song, and I remember again when we first uh, first got our hands on it and started listening to it. It was it was on repeat for what? Yeah, what is this? Yeah, we're like this is amazing. <laughs> I can't turn out of this car crash. It's gonna happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My next is AFI Sing the Sorrow. So Ooh. when you're 20 something and you like this misfit style uh, punk band and they suddenly mm-hmm. change to a more in depth and, and introspective style, you don't like it and you trash it. Yeah. That's exactly what I yeah, did. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Exactly what I did. You I was just like, upset me. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, this is what I did. However, I changed and later AFI, this album and on. I absolutely love. I absolutely love this album. Really started to change for that for the band and the wider variety of sounds and influences. And they really still find a way to write very well, consistent, crafted songs. So, if I sing the sorrow, uh, this album on to me, if I is 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 great. So, yeah, excellent choice. Um, thank, you. thank you. At number four, this is one of the ones people are really going to tell me I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's the Ramones with Subterranean Jungle. Uh, you guys know that this is one of my favorite albums. And, and what? The Ramones? Yeah. All their songs sound the same, Frank. <laughs> that I say, shut your dirty fucking ignorant mouth. But uh, Subterranean Jungle is an oasis of 50s inspired rock and roll by the godfathers of punk rock. Yeah. Nuance changes can be heard from album to album for sure. But here the band turns its iconic brand of punk rock 
into 50s dance band, big band music. Yeah. It's surprisingly positive album, despite the band's inner conflict at this time was at some of its worst. Um, this ain't the cliche, Ram- cliche Ramones you think you know. Subterranean Jungle is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, you know, I remember us having conversations about this too. And Mark's like, "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta listen to it." And I thought of uh, two things right away. Uh, number one is the, Sex Pistols are dead. Sex Pistols suck. And number oh, yeah. two, <laughs> number two, England stole all the credit for for punk. Uh, and there's a third thing. Third thing, and the third thing is um, there's actually a video, a video of the guy explaining it. And I think they really did steal the credit. But anyway, um, the third thing is, you know, there's those early Ramones albums everyone everyone knows right everyone knows so Arnold, rockets russia leaving home rock high school but there's these other ones deep tracks really really good stuff and mark described that, that album um superbly so and, and that's a fantastic fantastic album um so we had a metallic episode uh mm-hmm. recently again checking the archives uh, yep. i'm not gonna go fully into this but obviously the black album uh gone was the thrash metal and enter sad man and all these awesome hard rock anthems they eventually went back to traditional metal and thrash sound uh, but obviously metallica's black album you can't deny that that was a change in sound so that was that was mine i thought you might go snm on that I'm not, i like your pick though oh thank you because right. yeah. I, I know it's one of your favorites oh why are you why are you uh, so uh, number three, we have reached the three spot, Frank, and with the the bronze medal uh, <laughs> for me is going to go to Propagandi, uh, everyone's favorite Canadians. Today's Empires, Tomorrow's Ashes. It's their third album. Um, it's a drastic departure from the band from the band's previous work. The guitar work is far cleaner in tone, but also faster and, and far more technically played. The band would say that they took the five years between albums to learn how to play their play. instruments. Yeah, yeah. Frank. Uh, you love telling that story. I do. The political themes from the previous albums make it over, but much like the guitar work, they're far more pointed and considerably more in your face, and and quite honestly, more or better well tuned. And and uh, unlike me, uh, articulated. Thank you. There you, there you um, go. The last sentence I wrote for this, Frank, is this record fucking rules. Yeah, I mean, listen. Here, here you are. You got these two albums in the beginning that are that are based you know, your your '90s punk sound, and all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, you're now a thrash punk band." You know, this is metal punk, or like, how how did first of all vocal tone change all of a sudden? Is like Chris learns to sing, and he learned how to play guitar a, a thousand times better than he already was playing. And really, like, I feel the start of Propagandi is that album on. Like when I go and listen constantly to Propagandi, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's today's Empires, tomorrow Ashes, all the way on. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, great album, great band, and all their all their stuff is of quality. Um, next for me, uh, this is for my wife in an, in an indirect way, but it's rumors from Fleetwood Mac. Unpopular mm-hmm. opinion here, and people could give me crap for it. I actually don't like Fleetwood Mac. My wife though loves Stevie Nicks, but just her alone, and I'm actually with her on that. Anyway, before uh, before the Mac that everyone came to know, and they were a totally different band, your run-of-the-mill kind of blues band, but that all changed when old Lindsey Buckingham and Nicks joined the band. So uh, rumors, Fleetwood Mac. Again, I'm not – it's just what came to my – to my head on that one so yeah definitely an iconic album and i think it they're they're an interesting band in that a lot of people don't know that that's not the first fleetwood mac album yeah oh my gosh totally yeah a lot of people think that that's the genesis that that's where it came from because it is i will talk all the shit in the world about fleetwood mac <laughs> that record 
is so stewed within itself. There's yep. so much infighting and love and fucking just stupid 70s cocaine shit that it's it in itself is a beautiful thing. It's yeah. I mean it's not good, but it's a beautiful thing. So I understand why people love that fucking record, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back to shit I want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Did you like that transition? I love it. In the business, we call that a segue. We do. Um, we do. We do. Uh, at number two, uh, it's going to be Rancid and Life Won't Wake. Oh. Coming off of the success of 1995 and Out Come the Wolves, Rancid released 1998. Life Won't Wait. Easily one of punk rock's most underrated album, Life Won't Wait is the only album not to feature Bad Religion's Brett Gurewitz yep. as its producer. This is also recording chunks of the album in Jamaica with guest musicians such as Buju Bantan, Billy Joel Armstrong, and of course Dickie Bear, totaling 27 additional players on the album, Frank, including, plus the band. Um, not the band, the band, but the band. <laughs> okay. right, right, the band, Rancid. Yeah. Um, led to this... You know, this album rooted deeply in the band's love for dance hall, reggae, punk, and ska. It's, I mean, it's really just such a tribute to everything they love. There's even a rockabilly number for Frank. Thank you. Many consider it Rancid's, many consider it Rancid's Sandinista. I got really excited there. I'm sorry. Just yeah. All of they, they even mentioned Sandinista yeah. in one of the songs, so it's, it's funny. Yeah, they, they were aware of it, which is kind of cool that they were able to, you know, steer the train as it went off the tracks, if you will. Um Though it's clearly more focused, just as we mentioned, um, as to what they wanted to do and far less experimental. They had a great time jamming, but they knew what they wanted. This beautiful, uh, dare I say, masterpiece, which ranks amongst my favorite albums of all time. Um, they knew what they were doing. Definitely. Yeah. If you haven't listened to Rancid's Life Won't Wait, pause the podcast, listen to it, and come back. Yeah, well, and we have a spotlight series on on Rancid where we go through everything. And and what's funny is the next album. Two episodes. Yeah, exactly. The there you go. And what's funny is the next album, uh, Rancid Two Thousand, could almost be on the list as well for marking yeah. its stylistic change. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, my uh, my number two is Deja and Tendu by Brand New. I mean, what, they just had one pop punk album and then they changed directions like immediately uh they went for a way more serious and emotional sound but that was even gone by the time we get to the next album which is the devil and god are raging inside of me that's where they became to me the legitimate rock band one of my favorite albums but this album deja and tendu is is the start of it so that was that was my number two yeah and i think you you're right you could have picked either one of those albums to say was their turning point yeah um because wherever you are on that road it's fucking gorgeous yeah um so for me number one um it's all breaking things um considered to be uh, what i think is the band's third period uh the big chunk of change here being chad price on vocals as each of the th first three periods are noted by changes of frontman i think the fourth style in all is going to be stylistically when they kind of uh, adopt the cartoon aspect of the band all much as though the descendants uh, captured the identity of Milo as a cartoon. Um, that said, <laughs> I kind of went on a period there. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So this really boils down to Chad's vocals for breaking things. All chose a heavier and more mature sound. It'll last uh, for the next album pummel. Uh, both still very much sound like all with a uh, few tunes that are that are lighter, lighthearted. Um, but the beauty here is still the ability to express themselves maturing without losing who they are. Uh, this record is a, a as personal as any emo record 
the songwriting uh, uh, or, or folk album. I, I don't care. This fucking record is so personal. It's fucking badass. Even with the strip club song. Nice. Um, nice. Breaking things will make you live, laugh, cry, just like that sign you bought from Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> Now, yeah, I, I, I've meant, it's been a while since I've mentioned this, but I'd like to go on record, uh, on check out this record, and say that I'm responsible for getting Pummel on uh, Spotify. So you knew I was going to mention that. I, I knew if you. If you listen to the back catalog, you can break yeah. here say that. Yes. In another episode, I just don't know which one it was. I don't know which one it was either. But listen, I, I went to see Chad play, and when I, I was, uh, I had the opportunity to speak with him. And I said, hey, Pummel's not on Spotify. Shortly thereafter, it was on Spotify. So I'd like to give myself credit for getting that album on Spotify. Everyone can thank me, all that good stuff. All right. Mm -hmm. So my number one, listen, I'm segueing into the episode here. It's the album of the the evening, which is the Gab Kids on a Wire. That's the reason why we are here tonight, right, Mark? So um, without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really doing anything else. Oh, okay. Uh, did um, you want to see if you had some time available to talk about this album real quick? Or? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> You're going to skip the digestion thing? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm going to go into it. So let's wrap some context around this this meat and cheese sandwich. And, and Mark, you know I love a good sandwich, by the way. Mm-hmm. Dude, those peanuts, by the way, they look amazing. I just got to tell you that. Got to get the skins on, man. Is there, There's no cashews in that, though, is there? Oh. Great peas. Uh There you go. So the Gab Kids. Formed in 1995 in Casey, Missouri, the band is Matt Pryor, vocals and guitar, Jim Suptic, guitar and vocals, Ron Pope on bass, Ryan Pope on drums. Uh, That's how they started, and they eventually would be joined by James Dewey's on uh, keyboard. So we get the first album, Four Minute Mile, and then, bam, it's 1999, something to write home about, which we covered in our 1999 episode, which is a good time because we thrashed 99. But then we also give some compliments, too. Um, that album uh, put them on the map, and it's heralded as one of the best emo albums of all time, uh, and it just catapulted their career. Now, Mark, I know we mentioned it briefly in the 99 episode, Found in Archives, but you enjoyed digesting that album? Right, I wouldn't say I enjoyed digesting it. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, it it was uh, something to write home about. Um, I, I don't know what sentence I wrote there. Uh, look, I'm not a big emo fan. Um, I did know something to write home about. I did know um, Four Minute Mile, um, but these were albums I, I had kind of moved on from, and I don't even remember this coming out. Um, <laughs> You know, emotionally, Frank, I'm in, I'm a different dumpster fire now than I was then. I'm uh, interested to to look back at it now and see how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And so, listen, here, here we are with the band. So after a split and a B-side album later, we are at 2002. And we get On The Wire released on Vagrant Records, right? Everyone remembers Vagrant Records. This, listen, this is a radical departure from the high-energy pop-punk tunes. There, There isn't, to me punk here at all uh it's indie mixed with americana and some alt country uh, that was due to the band listening to a lot of wilco at the time well of wilco um and taking the approach of writing songs collectively as opposed to just being prior uh who's penning them now i've been listening to this album consistently since the day i bought it in 2002 and of course on the early take side i was like what is this where are those those emo tunes why is this toned down but believe it or not i quickly loved this album so mark you were just exposed this record really last week um so kind of different context here for both of us but what were your initial thoughts 
You know, it's definitely a departure from the earlier work. Ironically, I think the best title for it might have been alt, as it kind of skirts around like all of the alt sub subgenres. Uh, you know, it's got some alt country, it's got some alt indie, and dare I say, some alt oasis. Um, initially, I was the fan. Uh, I was the fan on this one, but but I spent a week with this record, and, and the nuances of it really grew with me. Um, so I'm I'm excited to dive in. All right, cool, cool. So, all righty, let's do some track-by-track track style. So, uh, I will go first, if cool. Uh, we're going to do it overdue. So, okay. this is the only single from the album. Everything gets abandoned here that you know about the band previously. Prior's voice is mellow and subdued. This is basically an acoustic track with, like, a little country shuffle going on. Uh, I happen to love it. My wife, who likes Prior but doesn't like when he strains his voice with those, like, emo moments, she thinks this is where his voice is best suited for, uh, or what is best suited for. Uh, anyway, it's a deep and touch track to me being a parent this is prior reflecting on his dad and how uh, he will be uh, as a parent and the lines here you're a few years overdue i spent them waiting here for you now your charities refused i can't name a penance for abuse uh, to me he does a great job of these simple rhyming schemes but making them totally impactful uh, so the other really gut-wrenching lyrics from a parent's perspective is went on a limb for you capsized when i turned 22 did it burn as bad for you no bottle serves to soothe my wounds i, I really like that and everything about this tune and when I'm able to catch it live. Uh, I'm a fan. What What did you think about Overdue, Mark? Well, that, that Wilco influence is certainly thick right up front here, right? Right. Um, from the shuffled uh, drums to the, the subtle guitar part, to really even kind of the way he's rhyming his his words with, with his voice. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty enough. You pointed out some really fantastic uh, lines uh, this song has. I'm not a fan of starting the album like this. It felt more like a closing track, but... Mm. Um, it's definitely a really pretty song. It just feels a little out of place at the, the start of the album. Yeah, it's funny because I remember popping the CD in because that's how I would purchase it in 2002. And I was like, oh, this is the first song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's a little jarring. It's, I mean, it's certainly, right, hey, this is not the last records. Yeah. Um, it's this other thing. I don't know that that's the best way to start an album, though, unless that's what they wanted. Right, yeah, who knows? So uh, track two is Stay Gone. Uh, Stay Gone is a great little pop number. Uh, I'm surprised this didn't get uh, regular airplay. It's got, uh, it, its harmonies are just contagious. It's light and bubbly. The lyrics stay on par with what you expect from a band like the Get Up Kids. Yeah, I, I love this tune, and I'm glad to have it uh, on on the live record that they put out too. Because I, I wish, and I wish they would play more. Going from overdue uh, to the first listen, and then you hear this song, you're like, okay, here we go. So then now that now we're gonna get going. Um, but as great as those tunes were on something to to write home about, this track to me shows growth. It's a true group effort here with great rock and a little midwestern tang. Um, it, Twang, I should say, Tang. Maybe I'm thinking of the drink, Tang. Who knows? <laughs> Getting thirsty, folks. Yeah, it's fun to play on acoustic guitar, and it's one of my go-tos when I'm around the house. Uh, and I always like the word placement of Alphon over photographs. I, I think that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good little good little number. Uh, number three is let the reins go loose. Here, here's where I think it gets interesting and, and a little mm -hmm. experimental. I saw them on tour in 2002 for this album, and this is how they started the set with this song. Now, I was stoked because that's when I really, I, you know, I had that brief moment of not liking the album. Now I started liking the album, and I was stoked. Uh, and if a video existed, you could hear probably me in the crowd because the crowd was acting like a bunch of pissants, to be honest with you, who, mm. who, who didn't get their utopian piece of cake at a party. Um, 
that wasn't even for them and more on that later. So this had great atmosphere. It opens things up. Uh, I thought it was a little psychedelic of a feel, uh, more straightforward sound. And when the keyboards came in, I thought it was great, great harmonies in the beginning and the drums and the bass are really holding down the fort. I think there's a lot of interpretation that one could come up with here. And that's cool. Um, the climax of when Pryor's voice gets louder mixed with the, bra- the backgrounding vocals. Uh, I think it's on point and, and this tune has grown on me over the years. What, what about you, Mark? No, I don't hear uh, much, if any, of that experimental kind of psych sound. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that said, I, I like the use of the keyboard here as an organ. Um, I could have used uh, – th- this could have been a single to me. You're right. Uh, you know, it, it's soft. It's delicate. The backing vocals are, are really cool. Um, it just sort of ends, which, which I dig, but it's probably part of the reason it wasn't a single. Um, I think people who create that, that very formulaic musical experience, I think they would have had a problem with that. And that's probably why bands like this and songs like this and albums like this don't get that major airplay. Good good point on that one. Good point. You know, um, track four, Fall from Grace. Uh, this is one of those tracks that appears one way, but when you, when you really dig into it, uh, it comes out uh, on the surface as a song about kind of just being betrayed and dealing with it. But I think it's really more about uh, not dealing with your issues and, and forcing those on other people and, and using someone else's behavior to excuse the, the fact that you're not dealing with it. Um, I think it's really cool. Uh, it's got a cool tone, and I love the, the mood and atmosphere the song sets up. Uh, I just wish there was more um, – or it wasn't so much of that, that constant tambourine shaking. I wish they would have done something uh, tempo to, to mix it up a little bit. Otherwise, I thought it was a really cool song. Um, you know, like I said, that would have just made it a little more interesting to me to see them, see them build it to something. Yeah, it almost feels bare, right, because of that yeah. kind of in the background, too. And that's a really good way you described, it. I think, the rest of it. Um, what I really like about this song is the, the chord progressions, the, the quick changes are something not normally used in your everyday song. And more importantly yeah. to me, that's this is some of the most flawed I think I hear the band on a recording. And I love the fact that I hear some of the flaws. Pryor's voice yeah. for almost seems to go off key here at times. And maybe that was intentional. And if it is, I, I think it's great. It fades out oddly at the end of the first and second chorus there's that weird feedback that comes in like towards the end of the song and and this unclothed overall vibe of the song really to me makes it a standout track uh when i was first listening to it i only wish they played it more live um but yeah it's definitely an interesting it's an interesting song that tambourine bit though you nailed it you, you nailed it on that one i, I um, just would like to see a little more out of it yeah got it got it uh, Grunge Pig is number next. I think this is a loud rocking number. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of this at the beginning, but it grew on me. Grunge fits the bill here as there are some elements of it. Uh, to me, I, I don't know. I think this is just them doing a rock and roll song. I like the F chord to the B flat. It's the nice riff in the background. Uh, this was another one I saw live during that show and I, I actually, um, that I was mentioning earlier, and, and they nailed it. So, you know, I, I didn't mind this song. What about you, Mark? Yeah, my, my headphones must be work, not working because uh, at no point did it get loud or rocking. Uh, I tried. Uh, you know, this feels like a, a closing track to me. Um, I, I just, it just got this, this slowed pace about it that feels like we're, we're closing up, we're wrapping up the album. Um, it's a cool enough but song, but I, again, it just really feels misplaced. I keep waiting for it to build to something, and it just kind of stayed soft and stayed. Uh, it, it never really got rocking to me. Got it. Got it. So, uh, track number six, High as the Moon. High as the Um, Moon. I bet this song was way cooler on just an acoustic guitar. 
Um, this feels really crowded to me. Uh, I like the little poppy guitar rifts and the, the drums. Um, th that should have been enough, but adding that piano in just kind of constantly over everything, um, it just felt like they were overdoing it. Uh, it's got uh, sweet lyrics. Uh, you know, it, it's a sweet song lyrically, excuse me. Uh, I just wish uh, I didn't have to pick between listening to the lyrics and the guitar solo over the lyrics. Yeah, it's interesting too, now that you're talking about it, and I don't have this written down anywhere, but you're mentioning that piano. That piano is really poignant in the song too. So it's like maybe they could have they could have yeah toned that down. Yeah, just a yeah. just a little bit. It so, feels a little heavy on on top of everything else that's going on. Yeah. A lot yeah. like that tambourine in the previous song. Yeah, absolutely. Just constant and you're like there's so many pretty things already going on, you're you're just weighing the song down with it. This album could, you know, the one of the the downsides could be so, so just overall production value, you know, have, you know, could, could be, you know, and you look at, uh, when a band goes from the, you know, like we talked about the different things that can change it from just one guy writing the songs, you know, bringing them to them and then fleshing them out as opposed to building all the songs together, you know, it's going to sound very different. You're going to get these different, especially if this is the first album they did it and they're really learning how to write songs together yeah. in this format. It's yeah. a different beast. You're going to be a different band. Totally, totally. So during that same show, which I'm going to reference a couple of times, uh, you know, that I was at, they played this, and the minute it came on, someone was like, is that a Matchbox 20 song? <laughs> I mean, oh, yes. I know. I mean, listen, it, it's poppy as hell, but I like the lightness of it, and when I think of mm -hmm. pop rock, this is what I think about. You're not hearing lyrics like, I build an altar for you out of Polaroids and pens in the walls of my room in your everyday pop songs. You know, I think the vibe of these naturally are, are there's some darkness to them, but the brightness and, you know, let's use the term power pop here. It sounds, it breaks that up a bit. So uh, I, I dig the tune. Number yeah, seven. Prior, I get, you, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you're right. Prior does kill it with the lyrics. On yeah. This. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just a, Absolutely. And you don't hear those in your, your poppy songs. And, and listen, right. let me tell you, Matchbox 20 is not writing lyrics like that, too. And no, we could have a full even. episode on ripping that band to shreds if you please. want, my friend. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll pay you if we could do that one. Well, how much? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number seven. All that I know. So the cool thing with the Gab Kids is that there's actually two singers. Uh, sure, one only sings about 25% of the time, but that still makes the band have diverse sounds, especially with their the songs and the writing. Um, this one is sung by Jim uh, to me, and he must have been going through a Beatles phase because it sounds like a modern version of them. It's a little trippy, and you get some 60 stuff going on, and this, it, you know, it's ebbs and flows on how I like it compared to the rest of the album. But but it's a cool tune. All that I know. What what about you, Mark? Yeah, I get where you're picking up that Beatles influence. I hear him pulling a lot of that kind of Oasis half talking singing that they stole from the Beatles. And, you know, I, I just couldn't get past it. It, it kind of fucked up the song for me. Um, <laughs> you know, I found the, the keyboard replicating the sounds of a flute uh, kind of obnoxious, too, because, again, he played it like a keyboard, not the way you would hear flutes. Um, I don't know why the 65 was shoved in here. Um, it, it just doesn't work with what we have as a record so far. So far. So far. So, uh, number eight. Walking on a Wire. It's the title trackish one. Right? Uh, I normally really like the Get Up Kids lyrics. Uh, this song just feels like layers of cliches uh, and, and 
truthfully, nothing's really said or expressed. Um, I think this is just a great job of him finding words that fit musically as he's singing and not so much writing really profound things. Um, I did get kind of lost in that though because I wasn't used to that out of uh, out of a Get Up Kid song. Um, you know, lots of 16th notes on the hi-hat and ride cymbal, that yeah. beautiful floating guitar part. It sounds cool. It does. Um, I just, it, like, him not really saying anything really kind of messed, messed with me. Um, you know, sometimes a band can, or a band, excuse me, a song can just sound cool. And I think I'm struggling with that. You know, I, I really dug the atmosphere of the song frame. I just, um, you know, it just sounds really cool and, and it doesn't yeah. mean anything. And, and maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe it doesn't have to, you know, to me, yeah. to me, this is, to me, this is a serious album in, in the grand scope of things. And, and sure. this is an anchor, I think, for that seriousness. I, I like the song's overall vibe. So I think the vibe, I think we can both agree on that the vibe and the atmosphere is what makes this song that it's very moody, melodic, great keyboard work, the guitar riffs, the solos, you know, yes, I, I could hear with the lyrics, the walking on a wire on the ground, though, I think hidden his repetition of that, uh, to me, you know, it's about failing at life and the process one keeps falling and this whole delicate nature of life. So like that to me fits the atmosphere. I like the jamming at the end and how the keyboards are just kind of sticking out there. Then everything stops and then it keeps going. It, to me, it's touching. And the, the one good thing is that they still play this song live because when I saw them a couple of years ago, they played this. So thankfully, this is one that's still still in the repertoire. Um Nine, Wish You Were Here, another poppy tune here in the vein of High's Moon. Again, it's something like a simple term, Wish You Were Here, said often enough, right? But I feel Pryor and company are just able to take the simple concepts and turn them into pretty good songs. Uh, the musical structure is also kind of basic, but at the end they change it up, and I like that structure as opposed to going back to what we heard in the verses and the choruses. You know, I, I, I have always liked this tune. What about you, Mark? You know, on any other pop album, this easily would have been the best deep track. It's right. simple and catchy, which is perfect for a pop song. Yeah. Um, I dig that we finally get a significant tempo change within one song here. Um, and I like that the band really builds from, uh, from that lower tone and just crescendos, um, as we haven't really heard it done so far on this album. I think it's a really gorgeous track. Um, okay. Possibly one of my favorites, um, followed by definitely my favorite, uh, give me a little kissy there, Frank. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> Can't Fire Kansas, a track 10. Uh, like I said, easily one of my favorite albums. Um, you know, it does kind of feel a little bit like a bonus track here. This is the other singing one of the Pope Brothers. Um, a gym, something. Jim, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they, they do a beautiful job of just capturing those simple songs of youth usually played just on an acoustic guitar. And it makes me want to go camping. What about you, Frank? Well, if our lives, if our lives were back to normal, and our wives would let uh, us have a, a dudes weekend, we'll go. We'll go camping, my friend. Oh, oh. you're here, folks. You Be did. Yep, I'll bring Brito along. So anyway, oh, uh, <laughs> I can't go now. <laughs> this is actually a fan favorite, uh, which is crazy coming from an album that stirred things up with the fans. Uh, this song again features Jim on lead vocals, and to me, it's about total nostalgia. Right, it's about good times, hanging out with your friends, and almost a tale of coming to age. Uh, which so many like to sing about. It captures Kansas. And listen, I've never been there, but this song gives me all that good old 
Midwestern feeling. And I've sure. always, yeah, I've always enjoyed the song. And I'll, me and Mark are going to go camping and we'll, we'll do an episode from the campsite. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, no. <laughs> uh, that, would be, that would be the title of the next song, The Worst Idea, if we did that. <laughs> okay, so this is one of my, actually, believe it or not, it, it's one of my favorite Get Up Kids songs. If I had a oh, cool. list together, uh, I'm talking like top 10 here when I'm thinking of it. Uh, the Shame is outside of them playing it during the tour for this album. I can't find another live performance for it, nor did they play it when I've seen them like the five other times after that. I think it's a cool rock song, nice loud guitars and keyboards. Again, it gives it almost that classic feel. One thing I love in songs is when they go up in keys and octaves and in the last minute of the song, we get that step up and it totally changes the sound. We get Pryor's voice hitting some high tones, but not still that what we've heard on the last album. I've always dug this song. I wish they would play it live more. Mark? Yeah, you know, the, the 60s influence is definitely back here. It's back. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun tune, but feels kind of out of place with the rest of the album, just like the other song. <laughs> Um, I think it's a great song, though. You know, kind of that throwback pop as a style seems like it should work so well. And these guys do a great job with it. Um, I dig that it does get a bit heavier towards the back half of the track. Yeah. Uh, it really grows. It really progresses. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of guitar noodling and keyboard noodling over the singing, which distracts me. Uh, but it's not nearly as bad as it is in High as a Moon. As a moon. Um, but I, I really dug this track. This is a cool song. Cool. This is a really cool song. Uh, so I believe we're at the final track. We are final at the final track. Tra- final it's track. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, hold on. Hold you know, on. the good news here is that for an album with a few <laughs> closing tracks, the closing track is a closing track. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, <laughs> the way he does the Oasis and Emo um, kind of makes me cringe because it pulls me in, pulls me out of the album, excuse me, and makes me think about how much I don't like Oasis. And there's a few more phrases of clotheslines that just kind of do that to me and, and make it hard for me to move on. I got to kind of listen to the song a few times to get past it. Um, I think it's kind of ironic that one of the last lines in this is you only disappoint the ones who don't believe. Now I'm not talking about the context of the album, but as a, a breaking up song, the line feels kind of selfish. Um, I promise there are many things I've believed in that have disappointed me and it wasn't because of my belief in them. Um, it's because that thing failed and it's okay to be disappointed in that. So it kind of feels like a cop out, especially in the context of it being a relationship song. Um, that said, I don't know who or why the song was written for. Um, I've just been listening to it for a week on repeat and trying to figure it out. Um, you know, other than that, I think it's a cool song. I, I dig the vibe of it. I dig the atmosphere. Um, it does. It th- this song makes me stop and think. There you go. Yeah. What about uh, what about you, buddy? It serves its purpose, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so listen. Right, it closed the album, an album of now closers, right? I think this is the song, the perfect closer for the album. It almost resembles at times the, the emo moniker, uh, but it's it's the breakup song and he's saying, hey, this is ending, but you're going to have to hold on and move. Um, musically, it's, it's emotional, but again, there's something different that still separates it from your everyday emo tune. Uh, it's the acoustic guitar strumming, or is it the acoustic guitar strumming? Is it the riffs? One consistency this album has uh 
even though there are inconsistencies, is a build. Anything can happen. Right. It's a build above the songs that we get and then the unleashing of them. And then, of course, you get Pryor's higher vocals here. And it comes back down and finishes how they started the album, basically, with an acoustic guitar and a calm voice. So the way this song ends is the way it began with Overdue. So that's that's Hannah Hold On, and, and we have completed On a Wire. Um, so so let's go into some final thoughts, my man. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final so thoughts. it's safe to say this album, I think we could agree on, that has yeah. more context for me than it does for you. I mean, I've been listening it to it now for 18 years, and I just suggested it to you last week, right? right. <laughs> so yeah. I know we're coming from two different places. As far as my love for the Get Up Kids go, I really like all their albums. I don't think they've really made one that's coined the clunker. Uh, what's funny is that the ones that they are perceived as the clunkers by the masses due to not being in the same uh, years before are usually my, my faves. Those are the ones I, I tend to go to. This album, I think, took balls and, and it impacted the band. Since we didn't get something to write home about part two, they basically gave their fan base to Dashboard Confessional at the time because that's when they blew up. Uh, I guess that happens, right? But the, the sad side of it is fans like me, uh, because these albums get so criticized for not staying in that box is that the average person you know because they don't want uh, a change in, in in sound and they want monotony we never get to see these songs live and that to me is an absolute shame a band puts their heart and soul into making something different and they don't even get a place for those tunes and it's a really really odd dynamic now in the case of the get up kids they would return to form in with 2004's uh, guilt show then take a hiatus and then in 2011 they pulled it again. The album, There Are Rules. I like that album as well. It's totally new wave and it wasn't ex- it wasn't accepted. And we don't even get one of those songs live. Like I, I barely am able to hear those songs live. And at least we get a few from On A Wire nowadays. So to conclude, On A Wire, it took guts. And when you had all the momentum in the world, uh, to me, that's, that's ballsy to all of a sudden take this shift. Uh, it's a total band effort. And to me, it's a serious record. Uh, the tunes are flawed. And there are some inconsistencies, but this was a conscious effort to make a certain sound, whether it was really natural or really themselves trying to prove that they weren't classified under that label. Well, me me and Mark are never going to know that. Uh, But I think they proved it. When I think of the Get Up Kids, I think of a really well put together rock band. Uh, Mark, your turn. And, you know, I really am glad that you've made it. So I still want to listen to this album. So. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Um, so in a segment we like to call Mark's <laughs> final thoughts, um, you know, what was fun here for me anyways, yes. um, other than the first two get up kids records, I didn't actively listen to, to emo. Um, plus it's been kind of forever since I listened to them. Uh, the first two albums that is, and I, and I did go back in this week of re-listening and listen to those records just to really find the nuances, right? Yeah. Again, the idea behind this week's episode was an album that was drastically different from previous records. And, and I think this is a great example of that. Um, that said, I lost my space. Um, yeah. Uh, that said, I was open to the album standing on its own uh, with the exception of the two sixties influence tracks that, that just kind of don't do anything. I think this album really works. I would have liked to see um, the order of the tracks on the track listing a little yeah. different. But I don't know that that would have made a difference when it was released and to the critics. Um, like I said, there's just a lot of the, this album, a lot of those slower songs that feel like the end of a record. Um, and I think perhaps in that context, if we look at this record as almost 
you know, vignettes as, as little plays within uh, a bigger piece of art, they kind of work. Um, 60s stuff aside, um, you yeah. know, it was a bold choice by the band. I, I can't say it paid off um, in the end, um, but perhaps personally, um, you know, I don't know that I'm going to revisit this album regularly. Right. Um, it's just maybe just not kind of my kind of record that I would, I would regularly jump into. Um, but as far as emo stuff goes, this is some of the best I've ever heard. Cool, man. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, you know, I, I thought your opinions on it were, were fantastic. And I really like how you took some time to really digest it in. So yeah. uh, I think that was really cool. So I'm glad, I'm glad. Thank you for the thoughts, man. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, um, I was going to say something that I completely forgot about it. So don't uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, um, <laughs> hey guys. Next week we've got uh, something cool lined up. Frank, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home what you've pulled off? All right, buddy. So next week we're going to be interviewing the band High on Stress from Minnesota and chatting to them about their new album, Hold Me In. So their Instagram description hooked me right away where the manager of the replacement stated how their new album was exceptional work. So uh, since the both of us have this undying thirst for new music, I figure, mm-hmm. hey, we get to check out an album that that we haven't listened to fully before and we get to talk to the band about it. So I'm really ready for this. Mark, what about you, buddy? Yeah, so uh, this should be fun. Uh, I just started listening to them uh, today because uh, you told me we were doing this today. Um, <laughs> it, it should be a lot of fun. I've never heard anything from this band. I'm digging what I'm hearing so far. Um, should be interesting. Plus, it's going to be our first interview episode. It's a new kind of episode. New kind of episode. Yeah, buddy. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. And again, Mark and I are really, uh, really digging it. And uh, Hey, are you excited? I'm excited, man. I'm pretty excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Me and Mark are just little inquisitive bastards, you know? So <laughs> little, little hamsters running around the uh, the world discovering That's it. things. That's just it. Growing and looking you know, stuffing things in our cheek pouches. That's it. That's it. That's it. All right, everyone. So thank you very much for listening. As always, give us a like, a follow, a suggestion, and of course an album for us to review. And until next time, ciao. Bye bye.